All right. Well, last week, uh, we started a new series that we're calling Improve Your Life in 2017. And I mentioned last week, and I'll repeat it here for those of you who weren't able to be here, uh, that, that I hope that your experience with past New Year's resolutions, uh, where you made them and then you, you didn't keep them, uh, I hope that that experience has not discouraged you so much that you don't take advantage of the start of each new year to kind of evaluate your life and, and make commitments about uh, how you want to see yourself and your life improve uh, in the new year. I think it is a great way to start off a new year. It is a, it is a great way to approach the new year every time it rolls around uh, to, to use it for that kind of evaluation. I think that is a really great thing. And so throughout this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look to the scriptures for guidance on the kind of commitments that we can make uh, that are going to improve our lives uh, if, we will, if we will make them. And so last week we started with the only topic that I believe could be the first topic in a series like, like this, and that was that to improve our lives this year, we have to commit ourselves to enthroning God on our lives. We have to step down off the throne of our lives and we have to allow Christ to ascend the throne of our lives, to ascend to his rightful place as the sovereign of our lives. Because really the truth is, if, if God is not occupying the throne of our lives, it is only because we have overthrown him. We have removed him from his throne and we have set, our, uh, set ourselves on, on the throne of our lives. And so, so we have to step down off the throne and we have to allow God to have his rightful place on the throne uh, of our lives. By the way, I'll mention that if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen online. Uh, or if any of you are still using CDs, request the free CDs that we'll uh, provide you. But, uh, but get caught up because it was a foundational message for the series. And really, if this is your church home, it's just a good practice anyway to, uh, to keep up to date with the things that we share uh, on Sundays. So I'd encourage you to make a practice uh, of that. So today, the second week of this series leads us to the following biblical counsel. We can improve our lives in 2017 by connecting with God more. Now, if you're a person who follows along on your outline, there are a lot of different scriptures on your outline today. We're not going to look at all those. I'm going to read a few of them. They are there just to assure you that everything that I'm going to say today has a biblical basis to it. And if you want to verify that, you have those verses that you can go and uh, check out. So to see our lives improve this year, to live the kind of life that God wants for us and that Christ came to give us, to live the abundant life that Christians are supposed to live, we have to be connected to God. Living the abundant life that God offers depends on being and remaining connected to God. Jesus taught this in John chapter 15, verses four through five, where he said this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus taught that for our lives to bear the fruit they're supposed to bear, 
Uh, we have to remain in him. We have to remain connected to him. For, for us to experience the life that is truly life, for us to experience abundant life, we have to stay connected to the vine. We have to stay connected to Jesus. Living in obedience to God, experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, and peace, things that make up the abundant life that God has for us, all of this depends on being connected with God. And thankfully, Scripture gives us a lot of counsel on how we can connect with God and how we can remain connected with God. The truth is that our lives are not going to improve in ways that really matter unless we are connected to Jesus. And so if you've evaluated your life, and, or if you would evaluate your life, and you say, you know, I'm certain that I have been living below what God has in mind for me, then what you need is more of God. You need to be more connected to him than you have been. And the Bible gives us good counsel on this. I need to have a coughing fit. So I'll be right back. I think I'm okay. We'll give it one more try. So what I want to do today is share from the scripture four major ways that we connect with God. And then I want to look at a few other ways uh, that can help us connect with God uh, as well. I'll just mention those and we're going to focus in on the four. So here's the first one. To improve your life by connecting with God more, in 2017, we need to read the Bible more. Amen. Thank you. You did so much better than the first service did when I said that. They just looked blankly at me. They're a, they're a rough group, I tell you. Oh, some of you were in here for that one too. <laughs> Sorry. So... So Bible reading is indispensable to connecting with God. It is indispensable to living the abundant life that God wants for us. Here's what David said in the 119th Psalm. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, notice the connection there. There is a connection between getting God's word in our hearts and refraining from sin, which in and of itself is an important component of living an abundant life. I mean, if, if we're, you know, none of us are perfect, but if we're like just sin machines, we are not living the abundant life that God has for us. And so the more we get God's word in us, the better chance that we have of continuing to live a life that is submitted to God's rule, the better chance we have of being transformed into the image of Christ, and the better chance we have of living the abundant life that God wants for us. You see, God's word, the Bible, it changes us. Amen. As we expose ourselves to it, it, it actually changes us. It transforms us. It inspires us. It challenges us. It reveals God to us. God's word improves us. But for it to do that, for us to benefit from it, we have to get it in us. The big giant family Bible on the coffee table doesn't do it if it just remains on the coffee table. Well, we have that big giant Bible. It's not done a thing for us. It won't. 
unless you get it in you. On the table is much different than in you. It has to get in us. And so here's what I want to commend to us today. There's nothing revolutionary about this. But until we have 100% participation in this as a church family, I'm going to keep talking about it. And how we'll know when we reach that, I really don't know. So actually, I'm just going to keep talking about it. So here it is. Daily reading of the scriptures. When I say read the Bible more, I'm not suggesting you need to have these extensive, long reading sessions with the Bible, though those are good. I would certainly not discourage you from those. But what I've found is most helpful in connecting with God is consistent reading of the scriptures. We, we need to read it. We need to take it in consistently, regularly, and, and I would say that daily is best. We need to expose ourselves daily to the word of God. Now, in the Walking with Jesus classes, Stan uh, let us know that he's going to be talking some about Bible translations. Did you do that today? Okay. So hopefully I won't contradict anything he said, but uh, here we go. Uh, it's my view that for your devotional life, you should find a version of the Bible that's pretty uh, easily read, kind of an easy read type of a Bible. And uh, here at the Vineyard, we, in our public worship services, usually will use the NIV, which is the New International Version of the Bible. Uh, I personally think that's a pretty readable translation and a, a pretty good translation that you could use for your devotional life. Uh, I kind of like the English Standard Version of the Bible, the ESV. I find that pretty easy to read. Uh, I like the New King James Version of the Bible. I find that easy to read. Now, the original King James is a little different. Not, not quite as easy to read. It's very flowery sounding. So if you like poetry, it's, it's a good one. Uh, but for devotional life, I don't find that one quite as helpful. Uh, all of those work well for personal devotion. Some people like the message for personal devotions. Uh, I personally find it to be too much of a paraphrase. And so like, I'm not personally a huge fan of that for devotions. But if you like that and that'll get you reading consistently, go ahead and use that. One of my favorite translations for purely devotional reading is the NLT, the New Living Translation of the Bible. Uh, I find that to be a very uh, easily uh, readable Bible. And so here's, here's the point. You can talk to Stan, you can check some of these out, do whatever you want, but, but find a translation that you like and commit to read one chapter a day. One chapter a day. Now listen, you know, the chapters vary in length, but most of them are relatively, uh, relatively close. And I mean, I've never timed myself, but just off the top of my head, I would say that you can read most chapters in the Bible in probably five minutes. Is that, is that what you all think? Five minutes? Five minutes. Can we take five minutes to get the word of God in us? Well, actually, I am going to suggest we take a few more than five because I think there are a few things that we need to do with our Bible reading. But the first thing is get the translation and commit to a chapter a day. And here's how I would encourage you to read your chapter a day. Sit down with the Bible, decide where you're going to start, but before you read, you pray. You say, God, I am going to your word now. I am reading whatever you've chosen to read. And it, God, I am asking you 
that you will help me to understand what I read. I'm asking you to illuminate the scripture to me, help it to come alive to me. And God, speak to me through what I'm reading today a very specific thing that you want me to apply to my life. Something like that. doesn't have to be exactly that, but some, something like that. Uh, pray before you approach the scripture. And then read the chapter. Then pray again. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what I just read. God, emphasize to me again the specific things you want me to take from this. Lead me to the portions of this that you want me to most focus on uh, for, for application. Just guide me right now as I think about what I've read. And then just meditate on it for a few minutes. Just stop and think. Maybe reread a little bit of it, peruse it a little bit. And as you're doing that, you're asking the Holy Spirit to guide you to the part of it that maybe you're supposed to hone in on for this particular uh, time with the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to highlight something to you. And then once he does, pray about that thing again. Commit to put it into practice that day. And maybe if he's highlighted a single verse or a couple of verses for you, maybe you even try to commit those verses to memory uh, throughout the day. So this is a great way to approach Bible reading, a chapter a day. You can do all of that that I just described in probably about 15 minutes. Don't limit yourself to 15 minutes, but, but, but you can probably do that in 15 minutes, which seems to me like that's a time commitment that most of us could make. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> like if we try real hard, I think even the busiest of us can find 15 minutes. And if we can't, then we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. We, we've got a problem. I would encourage you to pick a set time and place for your Bible reading. Yeah. Mornings are good. Mornings are good. Laying in bed at midnight is not good. No disrespect to the Bible, but it'll probably hit you on the forehead. No. Did you get it? fall asleep, it hits you on the head. All right. You guys are afraid you can't laugh about the Bible putting you to sleep, aren't you? No, it's just not funny, Brian. Okay. All right. So pick a time and place to read the Bible. Daily Bible reading like this will go a long way to keeping you connected with God. It will absolutely improve your life in the ways that matter throughout this year if you will commit to doing that. And then the next thing we find from Scripture that Scripture commends to us for connecting with God, I've already talked about them, is prayer and meditation. And both of these should be done daily as well. And as I've already said, both of them go hand in hand with reading the Scriptures. Here is one of the more compelling things that should really convince us of the importance of prayer. Jesus did it a lot. Jesus prayed a lot. Luke 5.16 and other places tell us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He withdrew to lonely places. He got away from the crowds. He got away from the distractions, which is very important if you're going to pray. If you're going to spend time with the Lord, you, you have to find a place 
where all of the distractions of life can be shut out. You know, sitting at your desk with all of your bills laid out in front of you is probably not the best place to pray, unless you're specifically praying over those bills. (laughs) But you get away from the things that are going to distract you. You get alone with God. And he prayed often. He prayed often. That Jesus, God, in flesh, felt the need to pray often, highlights for us how important prayer is. And of course, the importance of prayer is highlighted in many places throughout Scripture. But I want to highlight a Scripture that references prayer and meditation together. And that's Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Here's what they say. Most of you will be familiar with these. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I think we see in this passage both prayer and meditation. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But then that's not all we find. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. That sounds to me like meditation. Meditate on these things. Now, sometimes I think this is less true than it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but I think sometimes Christians get a little, uh, a little uncomfortable when you start talking about meditation because our, our culture has been so influenced by Eastern meditation. And um, I don't want to pretend I know a lot about Eastern meditation, but, uh, but, but the little bit that I do know, I'm fairly confident that what Eastern meditation asks you to do is kind of like empty your mind and allow the universe to fill it with something. That's sort of like a recipe for disaster. Because there's a lot of things floating around the universe you don't, don't want in your mind. But here's what Christian meditation does, how it is different. Christian meditation says to focus your mind on what is good, what is right, what is true, what is admirable. And of course, uh, largely, I think the way that we walk that out is that we focus our thoughts in meditation on God and his word. That's what we focus on. That's what we meditate on. And so if we're going to improve in 2017, if we're going to live a more abundant life, We're going to need to connect with God more because we have to stay connected with him to have that abundant life. And that means we need to communicate with God more. It means we need to pray more. It means that we need to quiet ourselves and listen for his voice more. And as we've already shared, I've already shared Bible reading and prayer and meditation all go hand in hand. And when you do those things, all of them and all of them together, it gives you a wonderful opportunity to connect with the God of the universe. And what an incredible privilege that is. And then here's another great bit of biblical counsel. To connect with God more, we need to prioritize Sunday worship more. 
Remember what I told you about Adele? She's going to be gone for a month, so. So look, this is always a tough thing to talk about. Because in a way, you're always preaching to the choir when you talk about this, because you all are here. But maybe you weren't here last week. In fact, a lot of you weren't here last week. I just, just, just mentioned that. <laughs> um, last week, you know, that's kind of an anomaly, kind of a different kind of week. But maybe you're here today, but maybe you are a person who needs to hear what I'm about to share. So here's the reality, friends. The Bible really does admonish us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It really does. It's in Hebrews 10, 25. You can look it up if you'd like. The New Testament church met both publicly in the temple courts and they met privately in homes. Gathering together was a central part of the life of the early church. And here's the truth. Gathering together in public worship, Sunday worship, has been central to the life of the church throughout its entire history. And here's another truth. It remains central to the life of the church today, even if a lot of misguided Christians have decided that it is a take-it-or-leave-it part of walking with the Lord. It is not. It's not. Important things for your spiritual life occur in Sunday worship services. In addition to serving others, which is itself an important part of connecting with God, in addition to giving, which is a way that we enthrone God on our lives, that is a form of worship itself, in addition to connecting with others and praying with others and encouraging others and receiving prayer from others, which are all important to our walk with God and all important to be, a, uh, to be a functioning member of a healthy body of Christ, a healthy local body of believers. In addition to all of that, the two things that our service are most centered around, singing praises to God, worshiping God through music and song, and receiving the preaching of the word of God, these two things are a vital means of connecting with God. They, they are. They're so important. They're much more important than the priority that many Christians in 2017 give them. One of the verses in the Bible I find just fascinating is Psalm 22.6. It tells us that God enthrones himself on the praises of his people. He enthrones himself. This is what we talked about last week, enthroning God. Psalm 22.6 tells us that praising God is a way that we enthrone him. When we come together and we lift our voices in praise, God resides in the midst of that praise. It becomes a throne that we erect for God in our midst and that he comes and he sits upon that throne in a high and exalted way. He is enthroned on our praise and the throne is a symbol of power and authority. And so I believe that when we're told that he enthrones himself on our praises is 
What it means is, is that God is present in power and authority when we praise him to deliver us and heal us and encourage us. This is why it is important for us to participate in praise and worship. Why it's important for us to sing praises to God. Now, what I'm about to do is a dangerous thing. It's dangerous because it's, it's, it's hard to walk the line, okay? Because here are a couple of true things, okay? Here at the Vineyard, we do not believe that a passionately praising God has to look a certain way, okay? Some people are more demonstrative than others. Some people raise their hands, you know, real high. Some people kind of keep them low. Some people sing real loud. Some people sing real quiet. Stan. Um, <laughs> some people throw their head back in worship. Some people put their head down in worship. Stan. <laughs> There's no right or wrong way to praise God. Okay? But here's what I'm concerned about some of us. I'm not sure anything's going on with some of us. I, I mean, occasionally, I, I, I don't do it on purpose, but occasionally I'll just like, you know, be feeling the presence of the Lord and I'll, I'll just like turn around, like if I'm over here to the right, I'll turn around to look at the congregation because I'm going to be encouraged and blessed by seeing how God is just doing great things among you. And some of you look dead inside. And so here's the fine line. You you know, we don't want you to think you have to look a certain way to worship. But something should be happening. And here's what should not be happening. You should not be using, well, I'm kind of a quiet person as a cover for not worshiping God. Worship quiet if you want, but worship. I see people that are worshiping very quietly. You can just see on their countenance that they're into it. They're passionate about what they're doing. And so, look, I'm not telling you, again, I want to reiterate this. I'm not telling you worship has to look a certain way. But folks, your heart needs to be involved in it. You, you need to come in here with an appreciation for, for the opportunity that we have. We are worshiping the one who has saved us, the, the, the one who has secured eternal life for us. And, and when we worship him, in addition to all that he's already done for us, which deserves our praise, we know that praising him causes him to enthrone himself and do special things among us. And so we ought to participate. So look however you want, but make sure that you're participating, that you're entering in. And so on Sundays, we connect with God by praising him, and we connect with God as we receive the preaching of the word. 
1 Corinthians 1.28 says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now, oftentimes people think that what that's saying is that preaching is foolishness. They like to point this out to pastors. And, uh, but, but that's not really what it means. The foolishness of what was preached is the gospel message. Well, that doesn't sound right. Well, it's not right. But it's viewed as foolish by people who are perishing. But it's appreciated as the wisdom of God by those who have received it and have understood that it brings life. But, but what's important to uh, our topic here today is to note that people receive the gospel message through preaching. That's a vehicle that God chose to get the gospel to people. And then Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. Jesus commanded people who receive the gospel are then to be taught to obey everything that I have commanded. And so preaching and teaching are vitally important to your spiritual growth, to connecting with God and receiving the abundant life that God desires for you. And there are a lot of ways this happens. It happens in the walking with Jesus classes. It, it happens in other classes that we uh, offer that train and instruct us in the ways of God. It, it happens in small groups as we interact with the word of God in a different way. You know, I, I'm really not that keen on having you throw out questions to me while I'm preaching, but in the small group, you can say, hold on a second, I, I, I don't understand that. Could you go over that again? Or, or could we talk about that some more? And, and there's a different type of interaction with the word in small groups that, that helps us to grow. And so in all of these ways, we submit ourselves to the teaching of scripture, to, to preaching, but yes, Preaching that happens on Sunday mornings, whether it is me up here or someone else, is a part of that as well, and it is an important part. So look, I'm not going to say a lot about this, but I do want to appeal to you today on this second Sunday of 2017. This is not unique to us. It is the case in every church that I ever talk to, but there are quite a few members of Vineyard Christian Church that need to prioritize Sunday worship more than what you have been. Important things happen here on Sundays. Sunday worship has been central to the functioning of the body of Christ throughout its history. And I don't want to beat you up about it, but I do want to appeal to you if it's true that you have not given Sunday worship the priority it deserves, commit to change that in 2017. Here's what is most likely true if you do not value Sunday worship. It is most likely true that something is off in your relationship with God. I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. That is most likely true. Now here's another possibility that actually I think if the heart's right, this probably isn't a possibility, but well, you know, I don't know everything, so we'll say this is a possibility. Maybe there's a possibility for some reason this church just doesn't do it for you. Oh, 
I mean, that happens. That happens. There are times that churches just don't, aren't a good fit for someone. Now, before I go any further, I want to acknowledge something. 2016 wasn't the best year we've ever had as a church in terms of growth. Wasn't a great year at all in terms of growth. So probably a lot of people that want the church to grow are going to be mortified by what I'm about to tell you. But I'm going to tell you anyway because I think it's right. If for some reason you cannot be into coming to Sunday worship here, go somewhere else. (laughs) Seriously. I don't want you to go somewhere else. I want the church to grow. I want all of you here every week. I don't want you to go anywhere else. But honestly, folks, if, if you cannot feel good enough about coming to Sunday worship here that you want to be here when we're here, go somewhere you do feel good enough about it. And do it quickly. Just, just go. <laughs> just go. Just go. We, we want to shake anybody out of the tree that can be shaken before we go build a building. So just go. <laughs> just go. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I don't want you to go. But I'm saying this because it's right. I'm I'm actually, I'm not saying this because I'm like mad at you or anything like that. I'm saying it because it's right. You need to want to be in church on Sunday. And so go to a church you want to be at. I think you ought to want to be at this one. But if you don't, go to the one you want to be at. Because you need to go to church every Sunday. And if it's not this one, you still need to go to church every Sunday. Okay, have I said that enough? Let's move on. (laughs) Oh, one more thing. I want you to come to this one. Remember that. All right. So so here's the uh, fourth scriptural counsel I commend to you today. If you want to connect with God more this year, you ought to join a small group. Four of them start this week. Two have already started. We have the classes starting. Uh, Those... uh, uh, certainly are you know, very similar to small groups and we'd feel good about you going to one of those if you're not going to a small group. Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Notice again, there is a public aspect to their worship, temple courts, and there is a private aspect to their worship in their homes. And because we have a tendency to miss things that we read real quickly, let me draw attention to this. They did this every single day. Let that sink in. Well, Brian, I just think going to church four times a month and then, you know, two home groups, that, I mean, that's six times a month. Well... This is ridiculous what you expect of us. Every day. If you come to every Sunday service the whole year, you'll be here 52 times. If you go to every small group that meets, they meet nine times, uh, uh, nine months a year, two times uh, a month. That's 18. 
52 weeks. We ask you to go 18 of those to a small group. My gosh, that vineyard. They, 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 they just drive you into the ground over there. 18 small groups a year is what they want you to do. Come on, people. This isn't hard. This is not hard. That's 70 times. If we have 100% attendance, 70 times a year out of 365 days in a year, we'll be together. They met every day. Are we really asking too much? No. And really no. (laughs) So, go to a small group. They are helpful to you. They are beneficial to your spiritual life. Sometimes, let me let you in on a little secret. Sometimes they don't feel that beneficial. I thought that'd be funny. Sometimes they don't feel that beneficial, but they are. You you know, some things that are good for you don't always like just, you know, charge you up every single time you do them. Sometimes you do it because it's the right thing to do. But then over time, you realize there is benefit from this. Oh yeah, it might've been hard to get there. I might've had to rush a little bit coming home from work. It would have been easier to just plop in my couch and watch Chopped. That would have been easier. By the way, that's the best show on TV, but uh, that would have been easier. But everything that's good for us is not easy. And so sometimes we exert a little effort and the payoff comes later. Usually the payoff comes every time we get together. Because every time I go, even if it was a hassle to get there, I end up being like, hey, this was good. I like these people. I feel closer to Jesus than before I walked in here. I'm glad I came. And, and so there are all kinds of reasons that groups are helpful. They, they help us develop relationships with other people who love Jesus. And then those people help us walk with Jesus. There's a chance to study the word again. There's a chance to receive prayer and to pray for others. There are many reasons small groups help us to connect with God and improve our life in ways that really matter. So improve your life by connecting with God more through daily reading of the scriptures, through prayer and meditation, through Sunday worship, and through small groups. Now I realize we're going a little bit long today, but for us, long is still not very long. So, so let's, uh, let's sit in here for a few more minutes. I want to quickly share a few other things that can be helpful to you in connecting with God. Here's one, fasting. Fasting can help you connect with God. You, you can do all kinds of different fasts. You can forego a certain type of food that you're really fond of, or you can forego all food for a day or so. And... Uh, And fasting can help you draw near to the Lord. Nature, nature can help us connect with God. I'm not even much of an outdoors person and I I still find that nature draws me to the Lord. You know, that one tree in my yard draws me to the Lord. (laughs) The, The one tree I can see from my porch is all the nature I need to help draw me to the Lord. Those Five arborvita bushes I have in my backyard because they were $6 at Lowe's. They draw me to the Lord. Some of the best money I ever spent to put a little nature in my yard. 
Nature can help connect us with God. Spiritual reading, uh, reading books that, that uh, are beneficial to our spiritual life. Serving others, giving financially. Friends, this is the way we worship is through giving. It, it, it enthrones God on our lives. It's one way that we enthrone God on our lives. It's a way that we worship. Journaling can help us connect with God. You know, you write something down that God speaks to you, and because we all have pretty faulty memories, you go back through that, and you're reminded over and over again of all the times that God has spoken an encouraging word to you or delivered you or, or answered some prayer, and every time you reread that, it, it draws you again to him and connects you again to him. And so this is all good in biblical counsel on how to connect with God more in the coming year, but there's something that we might have to do in 2017 to enable the connecting with God. We might have to simplify our lives a bit. We might have to narrow our focus a little bit. In the 27th Psalm, David wrote this. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. One thing I desire. Jesus told the rich young man in Mark 10 who asked him how he could inherit eternal life, here's what Jesus said, one thing you lack. One thing. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. One thing is keeping you from what you desire from me. And then in Luke 10, 38 through 42, we have the account of Mary and Martha. Jesus was teaching in their home. Mary was sitting at his feet receiving from him. And Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that it took to host Jesus. In verse 40, we read, but Martha was distracted uh, by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Each of these have something important to tell us about simplifying our lives, narrowing our focus. David had one thing that he was concerned about above all other things. Now, if you know anything about the life of David, you know he had lots of junk to be concerned about. But there was one thing that David was concerned about above all other things, his relationship with God, dwelling in God's presence. And so if we're gonna connect with God more this year, he has to become our one thing. He has to be the thing that we're more concerned about than anything else. It doesn't mean you don't care about other things, but he has to be the thing above all other things. For too many of us, God is not our one thing. For the rich young man, there was one thing that was holding him back from God. 
He had to be willing to let go of that one thing if he wanted to have the eternal life, the abundant life that God offers. And we know that Jesus was not teaching a salvation by works and telling him to go and sell his possessions. Jesus never told anybody else to do this. He wasn't establishing a works-based salvation. What is going on here is that Jesus, knowing the young man's heart, knew that his possessions owned him. And he knew he could not have the eternal life he desired. He could not have abundant life as long as possessions owned his heart. God had to have his heart. And so Jesus knew, you've got to get rid of the thing. like, Like for the rich young man, it wasn't enough to just say, hey, prioritize your wealth below me. It had, it, it had his heart too much. He had to get rid of it. And Jesus knew that. What has our heart? What are we unwilling to give up to have more of Jesus? What are we unwilling to give up to connect with God more this year? And then for Martha, she was allowing many things to distract her from Jesus. Friends, if we want to improve in 2017, we have to connect with God more. And if we want to connect with God more, we might have to simplify some things. We might have to narrow our focus from all of the things we're giving attention to now to Jesus. He has to be our one thing above every other thing. And whether it's one thing that's holding us back from connecting uh, with him or it's many things that are holding us back from connecting with him. We're going to have to prioritize those things lower than him or if that's not enough, then we're gonna have to cut those things out of our lives altogether. If you can prioritize them lower and he gets the top spot, I think that's okay. But if you can't keep this thing lower than him, then you gotta just get rid of it altogether. We have to be more centrally focused on Jesus if we want to live better lives this year than we did last year. Jesus has to be what our lives are centrally occupied by, centrally concerned with. So I hope you'll receive this message. I know some of it may have been a little bit challenging to you. Um, it's challenging to me. I, you know, I'm in the same boat you're in. This is challenging to me. Uh, I promise in sharing this message that I'm motivated by what's in your best interest. I, re- I really am. It's all biblical counsel. And so I hope that you'll receive it. I really hope you will. And I hope that you'll make whatever changes you need to make this year to connect with God more this year. It's so important to improving your life. It's so important to living the abundant life that God has for you.